This is the Warm Springs program on KWSO. I'm Sue Matters. The Warm Springs Community Action Team is a nonprofit community development organization located on the Warm Springs Reservation. First established in 2001 as an incubated program under the Central Oregon Partnership, the Warm Springs Community Action Team became an independent 501c3 nonprofit in August of 2008. Chris Watson is the executive director of the Warm Springs Community Action Team, or WASCAT. He talks about the organization and future plans. We are potentially expanding our workforce development efforts in the future. Um, We've applied for grant funding to enable us to develop programs for youth workforce development, as we are interested in working more and more with youth, and also... um, workforce development in terms of technology, um, information technology. There's not enough IT professionals on the reservation. So if your computer breaks down or your systems are having challenges, if you're not working in a tribal department, chances are you're going to have a hard time getting it fixed in a timely way. And we aim to change that through this program. And also, um, Uh, The community action team has been heavily involved in turning our buildings um, and soon the commissary building into net zero energy facilities. So we're very interested in photovoltaic technology and in doing work around the solar industry and beyond. Um, One of the grants we've written is to develop a program to create employment in these particular fields, tech fields. Um, We, of course, don't want to step on anyone's toes who's already doing workforce development. We know the tribes, WIOA department and the TARO office do a lot around workforce development. So we wanna work with partners on the reservation to ensure that we're not getting in anyone else's lane. And I think that's something we've always done in our strategic planning is we've looked at either the people's plan or whatever other tribal documents are out there and talked with tribal leaders and community members to make sure we're not duplicating the efforts of other organizations in the community. It's important to us to have great relationships with people and to work with people and not do things that are contrary to their efforts. Um, I've mentioned the commissary. The commissary is our big capital project. You see it right there next to the highway. Uh, It looks right now like we've let a few trees grow on the site. It's looking a bit mangy. Um, We aim to change that. Um, The commissary project, many of you know, and we've done shows on this before, the goal of it is to create a small business incubator using the 126-year-old commissary building. That building... um, As many of you saw in April, we we moved that building on April 4th from its old location behind the post office to its new location along Highway 26. Um, The work has stopped temporarily. Um, Most of that is due to the fact that we don't have enough money in place to do the whole project right now. And we have a lot of grant proposals out there right now um, in which we are working our best to bring in the dollars necessary to complete the project. When we first budgeted for this project in 2016, the budget was a lot less than it is now. With the construction boom in the last few years and supply chain issues and lack of availability of timber, lumber, these things uh, um, are not cheap anymore. So the, the cost of the commissary project has risen significantly. Therefore, we have to keep writing more grant proposals. And the good news is we've raised $1.6 million so far for the project. But when you think about this project, 
What we're doing with the commissary is we're creating retail and office space in that building. We're building a food cart pod uh, with a pavilion next to it. The food cart area will have three or four food carts, and it will have two brick-and-mortar structures, which Starla uh, Green, who's going to be our commissary general manager, has uh, called short houses. And um, so there will be the commissary, the outdoor pavilion with food carts, and two brick-and-mortar short house cooking establishments, restaurant establishments. And also um, there will be a commercial kitchen eventually, which will enable community members to make value-added food, you know, different smoked salmon or huckleberry jam or whatever people want to make for sale either on reservation or off reservation so that it's legally saleable in places, not just in Warm Springs, so that people can make money. Uh, Because it's an important function of the Warm Springs Community Action Team to promote local business, local business activity. He talks about the staff at the Community Action Team and the programs they have running. The community action team does a lot of different things. We have 17 staff members. 15 of them are tribal members. Two of us are not. I'm one of the two who is not a tribal member. So 15 of us are Warm Springs tribal members. For years, the largest program that we've operated is the IDA program. IDA is Individual Development Accounts. The Warm Springs Community Action Team has the largest IDA program in Indian country. We have had 275 people graduate from the Individual Development Account Program, and we have 175 in the program right now. Well, an IDA is a matched savings account. It enables people to save their own money. Community members save $1,200, and they get $6,000 to match that. That's a five-to-one match rate. So if you put in $1,200, you get $7,200 when it's time to purchase an asset. It's not something that you just save up and get the money and you get to keep $7,200. What you do with the money is you purchase an asset. Those assets include buying a home or renovating a home. You can get college or vocational education. You can start or expand a business, like get capital for your business. You can purchase a car. You can pay off debt. There's actually a debt repayment IDA. And there's a few other kinds of IDAs as well. So that program is really large, and it has been operating and operating well for a long time. And it's been the core from which a lot of our other programs spring. When you have an IDA program like that, there's this savings requirement where people have to save their money to get it matched, but there's educational requirements too. Everybody in the IDA program has to complete a financial education class. It's called Building Native Communities Financial Skills for Families, and it's a six-unit times two hours course that Demas Martinez has been teaching for the last few years. Mallory Smith will be teaching that class in the coming years. Demas has moved into a new role in our small business program at Westcat. So there's these financial empowerment classes, and also with every asset you purchase, let's say you're buying capital assets for your small business, you have to take a course. So if you have a small business IDA, you have to take either Indianpreneurship, which is a course we've taught for years, or the Oregon Native American Chambers One curriculum. And then upon completing that course, and before you can get these capital assets for your business, you have to also submit a complete business plan and a course. You have to invest not only your own money to get the match, but your own time, and you have to try your best to come up with a plan for your business and build sort of intellectual capital to help you as your business moves forward. The same is true if you're in a homeownership IDA. 
you have to take a homeownership course. The good news about the homeownership IDA is because homes cost a lot of money, the homeownership IDA is one of the bigger IDAs. You can save 2400 and get 12000 match. And if you can do that savings in one year, that means you can have $14,400 saved up um, just by putting in 2400 of your own dollars, and you could buy a house with that. That's a good start on a house right there. This program can really make a difference for people that are interested in these kinds of things. Our youth educational IDAs are the same. You save 2400 If you're a kid, you get 12000 in match. That's $14,400 that you can use for college or some sort of training if you're not interested in going to college, some sort of vocational ed. So the programs do a lot to help people move ahead. And that's the idea is that we're not interested in giving handouts, but kind of a hand up where you've got skin in the game and you've got to figure out if you want to be part of this program and you've got to do the things necessary to get where you want to get. So that's the IDA program. And you can see that with that program, there's financial ed requirements. There's small business education requirements. There's homeownership education requirements. There's all these educational courses that we do. We consider that kind of a second arm of what we do. There's the asset building through IDAs. There's the education for personal and professional development. And because we have a food cart and a cafe, we're doing workforce training. That's kind of a form of education as well, where people are learning in the twisted teepee how to make food, you know, and how to have an inventory and manage that inventory and then market and sell and operate your, the finances of the business. It's fairly complex. Same thing with the Painted Pony Cafe. In the last two years, we've run about 50 people through the Painted Pony and Twisted Teepee, getting training and how to work. Years ago, when we surveyed the community on what is barriers to business, a lot of those aspiring and existing business owners, we surveyed 50 people back in 2016, told us there's not really a workforce in Warm Springs, even if they did start a business. So we're trying to help people start businesses through IDAs and through coaching and counseling and courses and business plan development, but also trying to build up a group of community members who can work in those places and be effective retail workers or whatever kind of work is needed in a business. Chris talks about the commissary project and some of the goals they are trying to achieve with relocating and rebuilding the commissary. The commissary project will be an amazing project in that uh, it'll be right there on Highway 26. So uh, we've done the math. We know that there's 8,800 cars a day per ODOT statistics passing through. A few years ago, I remember Marge Kalama saying, yeah, the cars that are going down Highway 26, those are like fish. And we're trying to reel them in and pull them off the road and get them to stop and maybe eat some food maybe buy some artwork at the Tenenowitz store. Maybe they'll go to the bathroom. Maybe they'll buy a cup of coffee. Maybe they'll drive out of this place with two or $300 worth of tribal member artwork. That's the goal. Maybe learn a little bit about the community. Maybe some connections form between Warm Springers and those who are coming through. Maybe some people make money. Maybe some businesses get created and jobs are created too. That's the idea around the commissary project. We think that the commissary, because there will be five retail businesses plus some food carts and food businesses outside, will be nine to 12 brick-and-mortar businesses 
The office space upstairs is something long desired by community member business people. They've said to us in the past, there's no office space on the reservation. So part of the commissary, the goal of it is to change that. Years and years ago, the tribe put the commissary on a historic preservation list. In 2005, the tribe developed a downtown plan, which many of you have likely seen, in which the goal was to move the commissary from its location. I think the goal way back when was to create a justice center kind of adjacent to the police station and the courthouse. I don't think that's the plan anymore. So the idea was preserve the commissary historically, move the commissary. And in 2012, the tribe had a plan. It was called the Strategic Infrastructure Plan to create a small business incubator. So basically, our efforts have been to do all three, to move the building, to create a small business incubator, and to preserve it historically. We've been lucky. We've worked with some fantastic architects over time. Hacker Architects is a nationally known architecture firm who we've been working with since 2016. They've done conceptual diagrams. They've done construction diagrams. They worked for two and a half, three years, actually, with Marissa Ahern, who was a Wascat staff member, to do some uh, really great design work and also to really get started on thinking about how we make this project happen. We're still working with Hacker Architects, and they brought others on board, including some really great landscape architects, Walker Macy, some engineering firms that have done a lot to help us turn this into a net zero energy project. So we're going to try to power the whole commissary with solar power. You might start seeing solar panels start occurring sooner, actually, than anything else. It's highly likely that we're going to get funding for solar. And there's a company called Stracker down in Ashland that has these 20-foot-high towers with these dual-axis panels that rotate around, and we're going to have those probably before we even have the commissary going. And it's highly likely that we'll have funding to complete the outdoor pavilion before we finish the commissary also. So you'll see over the next couple of years a lot of work happening on this project. There will be lulls in the process because as a nonprofit organization, we have to raise all of our own money. We write grants. We've gotten something like 16 different grants to pay for the work that's been done on the commissary so far. The good news is there's a lot of federal grants that we're applying for now where the dollar figures are larger. And we think that we're going to be able to raise the next couple million dollars a lot quicker than we raised the first. Now that we have the, the partners in place, now that we have the tribe on board, and I got to give it to the tribe too for giving us a long-term lease, a 25-year lease on this property, for giving us that same length lease on the commissary building, and for doing a lot to really assist with this project. I mean, it was the tribe and the BIA that years ago did the work to clear the spaces in the campus area to set up a new climate where think projects like this could actually happen. The tribe also worked with the BIA to clear out all the trees on the site, and that saved us a lot of money. We're going to try to repay that by creating this incredible facility, and we're also going to try to do everything we can to fix the infrastructure underground there. The, another reason this project is taking more time and costing us more is that we're fixing underground pipes and stuff like that on site as well. And there's a lot of moving parts. When you're dealing with infrastructure, trying to make a net zero energy site, trying to do all the different kinds of things we're trying to do with this site, it's hard. So, And not only that, but you've got to set up the administrative capacity to run it, policies and procedures, all kinds of stuff like that. The business plan, we have to do feasibility studies, all the boring stuff has to be done to make the exciting stuff happen. 
Chris talks about the commissary project timeline that they are working with right now. If you look at the sign on the fence right now, it says fall of 2023. Um, it is our goal to try to finish the commissary by fall of 2023. Um, realistically speaking, given that there are some grants that we have applied for that we didn't get, and that there, it's a steep climb to get funding for a nonprofit organization like us. We don't get big federal block grants to do the work we do. We get little grants, and I shouldn't call them little because they're huge, actually. When you think about $100,000 from one foundation, you know, $200,000 from Meyer Memorial Trust, $250,000 from Business Oregon, um, these aren't small, right? But because the scale of the project is very large, and it's a whole site that we're doing, and it's not just the commissary, but it's a food cart, you know, pod and pavilion and a commercial kitchen, the cost of this overall is a lot. So whereas 250000 or 100000 these kinds of sums are not small, you've got to get a lot of those in order to make the thing happen. So we ask for a little bit of patience. Uh, we're doing the work. Uh, it's moving forward. Um, we're going to do it in chunks. The idea is do one chunk where it's five or $600,000 worth of work, then another chunk, and so on and so on as funding comes in. But I anticipate... I'm giving a long answer to your question, that it's not going to be spring or fall of 23, but I'm anticipating that it's going to be most likely spring of 24. We're shooting for getting it done ahead of that per our original schedule, but sometimes the schedule moves back, and, and we're just hoping that construction costs don't keep going up, hindering the progress of the project. The good news is lumber prices actually dropped last month for the first time in two and a half years, so... Maybe uh, maybe this won't take as long as we thought. Chris talks about other ideas from WISCAT. There's so many different kinds of things that we talk about doing as a team. We try to be guided by the strategic plan that we put together, You know, where we have specific, measurable, achievable, results-based, and time-bound objectives. And everyone on our team is a dreamer, though, and everyone wants to do more. And as we succeed in doing more, we're asked to do more all the time. Just an example, in 2020, there came uh, funding from the federal government to provide entrepreneurs, small business people, with micro-grants for small business. That's not something that was necessarily in our purview. That would be in the tribe's purview because the money came to the tribe to distribute. But I think tribal leaders recognized that the Warm Springs Community Action Team is heavily engaged with the business community and in working with the business community and that we had the capacity. So they asked us and we said, sure, we'll do that. So Dustin Saylor, largely with a little help from Nettie on our team and some other team members, managed to do the outreach and recruiting to get 527 grants, micro grants out to community members. And that's something that just happened because we have the capacity to do that. We have a strong team. Other examples, we've been involved with the tribe in moving things forward like mold mitigation in the ECE building. We've been involved with the tribe on putting together grants for language projects. We've been involved with the tribe 
doing things like the skate park project. We're actually the fiscal sponsor for the new skate park project. So the money will flow through us and we'll pay the, the vendors for that. We have the capacity to do things efficiently and effectively because we're a small organization. We're very nimble. So we can shorten the time it takes to get projects done. So those things happen to us pretty often, actually, which go beyond our day-to-day mission. And the team, of course, when we succeed at projects like that, they want to do more, and they have ideas about that. Specifically, are there any ideas that we know are going to come to fruition in the coming year? No, but there's lots of ideas. We're potentially going to, as part of our food sovereignty project that Karina Miller is operating with help from, from Dustin, we could potentially take over a large piece of farmland. We've talked to tribal leaders about it. There's the talk of the Schoenhagen property and others where we create a a hemp crop and we create potentially a crop of hops. And not only that on that particular property, but creating an educational farm where tribal members interested in learning about agriculture would have that opportunity. With Karina's program, we're already building greenhouses and things like that in the not-too-distant future, one of which is in partnership with Carol Sami down at the community center. We're going to put one next to the Westcat building, too. We're doing solar projects, <laughs> which is a whole other thing. But still on the ag project, there could be a community farm where we're working with community members to train them in how to grow things. Chris talks about solar and other projects and ideas they have. Back to the solar idea, we're learning how to put solar on our building right now. You'll see solar panels on the Westcat building, and it'll be a net zero energy building. And believe me, that building needs that kind of thing because it is old and inefficient and energy escapes out of it like crazy. But we're going to have solar on that building. We're going to have it at the commissary site with these dual axis giant stracker panels and then some on the roof of the commissary. And then we're very much interested in pursuing other solar endeavors. There's one project that we're working on that would be a community solar project, which could potentially provide enough solar power to power four to 500 homes. The goal would be to provide a 20% cost cut to those folks and for lower income, lower asset people, up to a 40% discount on their power costs. That project is about two and a half to three years away, but we're already doing some of the work on it. We're working right now with Pacific Northwest National Labs to consider resiliency strategies. There's a project cohort that we're part of called Energy Storage for Social Equity. The idea being that here in Warm Springs, there's frequent power outages, or there have been more so in other communities. So how can we create places and spaces in Warm Springs that when that happens, they're energy resilient? Let's say, for example, the tribe has a place, maybe natural resources or commodities, has a place where they're storing food in freezers. If we're able to come up with ways to develop battery systems and uh, photovoltaic systems that feed into those batteries where we can save energy, so when there is an outage like that, maybe all that meat that's in the freezers won't spoil. Then also cooling centers. When it gets really hot in summer, and you lose power and everyone's all you know sweaty and hot and potentially it's affecting public health. Maybe we can do something with these kind of resiliency technologies, solar with battery, to create places and spaces where people can go that are air conditioned even when there's a power outage. 
all these different kinds of things are things that we're starting to work on and are excited about working on. And as an organization who pursues sustainable community development, what better to do you know, f- for the, the community than create systems where energy usage is sustainable, where we're not burning you know, fossil fuels, those kinds of things. So we're trying to do a lot and we're learning a lot and we think of ourselves as a learning organization. Who knows what it'll be two years from now that we're working on. Could be the commissary and a farm and solar and all the other projects that we have and then some. Chris talks about events the community action team hosts and organizes. We try to do community events too from time to time and it's been tough during COVID. The last community event that we did It was the In a Landscape concert. You may have heard of Hunter Nowak, who does classical music concerts in the wild. And he travels to many, many communities around the state. And the Warm Springs Community Action Team hosts his concert every year. And we intend to continue doing this in the future. Those events are great in that they bring outsiders into the reservation who paid for tickets. Those funds go primarily to support the In a Landscape concert series. But some of those funds find their way back into the Warm Springs community through the community action team. And we're really grateful to be part of that and continue that partnership in the future. This year we had fewer tribal members than previous years. We're hoping that this concert um, continues in the community for years to come and that a lot of tribal members take advantage of it because it's free. Hunter Nowak is really great in that he also does these concerts in partnership, you know, when he's in Warm Springs with James Greeley, uh, incorporating James's flute music, and they do a concert when they come here uh, at the K through eight school too. And we hope to do more and more community events in the future. We think the commissary will be a good venue for that because under that food cart pavilion, we're going to have a stage, and we're hoping that uh, different live music events and other types of performance events will occur at the commissary under the pavilion. And that we'll not only have live entertainment, but we'll have markets there, like outdoor markets. In the past, we've hosted outdoor markets. We're hoping that that is going to happen again at the commissary. There's no reason why it won't happen. Both art vendors uh, and other people selling other kinds of things, food and things like that. That was Chris Watson, the executive director of the Warm Springs Community Action Team. I'm Duncan Bruno reporting for the Warm Springs program on 91.9 FM KWSO.